This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hey, girl. Damn. Damn, you thick, shorty. Hey, let me holler at you, though. <laughs> nah, come here, come here, come here. Oh, you just gonna play me to the left like that? Oh, you think you fine or something? You stuck up fat bitch. You ever thought about smiling sometimes? Shit, you ain't even gotta be like that. It ain't even that serious. Shit. Look, homie, you don't even fucking know me. You want me to smile so you can feel confident approaching me. And get mad when I walk off like I owe you gratitude because you noticed me, but you ain't really noticed me. Hey, y'all, this is Javia Nicole, a.k.a. your girl's favorite lesbian. And you're listening to Black Radical Queer Podcast, our stories on our own terms. Today, um, of course, as usual, I'm going to let my guest introduce herself um, so that way she can give you all some information about what she does and where you can find her. Um, so, yeah, you can go right ahead. Hi, my name is Publicity. I am a transgender recording artist from Alabama. Um, you guys can find me on all social media at all for publicity That's A-L-L, the number four, P-U-B-L-I-C-I-T-Y. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, everywhere. And um, my website is www.allforpublicity.com. Once again, that's with the number four. And that's where you guys can follow me and keep up with me. Yay. Okay. So I, I'm glad to have publicity on because it's been a minute since we just kind of chatted and stuff like that. And, um, and I really want to, and I'm, I mean, this may be from a totally, I don't want to, I guess maybe selfish place. I don't know. Or just my own, uh, my own, uh, motives. But I mean, from when we met, I was from getting some of publicity's music and I was like all for it. So I'm still very much in the same place where I'm just like, okay, so I still rocked, I bumped this. So like, y'all are going to have to check it out too. Um, Yeah, but that was just one of the things that we um, connected over. So I guess a little bit of background. We met at a, I guess, would you consider a retreat? Like what was a camp? Did they call it a camp? I don't know. They called it a media camp. A media camp. Okay, so yeah. We met at a camp, and this was who? When was this? Maybe this like 2012. Okay, yeah. Oh, geez, what? Okay, yeah, it was yeah. a long time ago. That was in 2012. So we went to this um, media camp, and I mean, it, and it was all basically like queer folks. And the thing is, some of the things we talked about and stuff, like you do start to make connections with people, and you see the things you have in common with people. So you, you know, you form kind of those initial bonds and some folks you just stay connected to. Um, and we have just, you know, stay connected over the years. Um, but it is it does put you in a position where you are tackling some really tough issues. And so, you know, that can either be really like vulnerable in a scary way or just kind of like connect, you know, connected to people. So one of the things that I remember, though, is meeting publicity um, and we just kind of like hit it off. But I knew that there was, it was kind of like there was something else that was going on, but I wasn't sure what what it was. Um, but I was just like, I don't know. But all I know is like, I'm very drawn to this person. Like we click, you know, so I'm just like, okay, we, I'm already claiming you. <laughs> like this my people. <laughs> and so I asked her if I could photograph her because at the time, because when I went to the media camp, I went, 
partially that was because everybody had some kind of skill. Everybody had some kind of like artistic skill. Um, and so, of course, publicity came with like the, with musical skill. Um, I came in with it was more so like my writing, my poetry and my photography. So I, was, I really clicked with and I was like, can I photograph you? Um, and she told me I could. So we set up, you know, a, well, I took some pictures of her like while we were at the camp or whatever. Um, but then I was like, I want to set up an actual photo shoot because I remember going through the pictures like, oh, my God, I just love your face. Like, I, I want to take more pictures. So we set up like a, a photo shoot, photo shoot outside of the camp. And so I remember like uh, you were going over, publicity was going over like what her looks were going to be and stuff like that. And she was like, oh, well, do you mind if I like kind of throw in throwing these accessories and there was kind of like this like gender bending kind of thing going on and you were nervous you were nervous to like and I was like whatever you want to do like this is your your space so you know but at the same time I understood I understood the nervousness because like what people don't realize I mean we were both basically like black queer women coming from the south absolutely like south south you know and who had just been so used to being heavily policed and like how we express ourselves and um, one of the things that we clicked over was because, I mean, my my presentation is, well, at this point in time, it is often film. At that time, it was not. At that time, it fluctuated a lot more. And I, it's like you never knew what you're going to get. It just it was, you know, it varied by the day. And so that was not an easy thing to do for us to both kind of exist in these spaces where we were kind of like uh, defying certain like gender norms and really like being non-conforming, that was not an easy thing to do. So I understood the nervousness, but I was like, look, uh, you know, do your thing. And to this day, those are still some of my favorite pictures because I feel like those are some of the pictures where it's like, I, that's when I start to see you for real, for real, um, without you having to feel like you had to kind of like hold back. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, that was just like an amazing thing to me. I look back at those pictures like that's that was kind of like that, that girl that was coming out. True. Just a little backstory of what was going on, man. I I grew up in South Alabama um, where there is no queer community. There is no LGBT community whatsoever here. And um, I remember when I first came to the media camp, that was my first introduction to what queer could look like because I had no idea about this identity. Like everything was still new to me at the time. And I was super young when I first came to the media camp. And um, yeah, at the time, like I was going through this whole process of questioning my gender and, and, and battling with these gender identity issues. At the time, I really didn't fully understand what trans was. And transitioning just seemed like something that was unattainable here where I'm from. And um, so, yeah, and I was having conditioned all my life growing up in South Alabama into this, in condition to be to this hyper-masculine image of what, quote-unquote, a man should be. And I remember that when we had our photo shoot, I came to Atlanta with my, with my two best friends, and I bought a bag that damn Louis Vuitton bag and it was the first yes. bag I ever owned and fly. like and, I, fly. <laughs> <laughs> and it meant so much to me because it was my first time like really being able to explore my femininity and feeling comfortable exploring my femininity in the open and that photo shoot meant so much to me also for the simple fact that you gave me the outlet to finally explore my femininity and I still have that bag to this day like I literally just looked over at my closet and seen it at the top <laughs> of it <laughs> but I mean the thing was you were so like I don't know it was just so humbling to me like such an honor to me that you basically like shared that with me because you you definitely didn't have have to but you took a risk you took a chance and did that and I just thought I mean you were beautiful like it, it I was just like I see you you know what I'm saying and so it was different because at the media camp I do feel like we definitely clicked and we and you know just kind of talking about what it is kind of being queer in the south and 
um, feeling kind of like isolated and, you know, that because I, I used to live in a small town in Georgia where it was different than when I, me living in Atlanta. So definitely understood that. But I mean, I feel like you just really like you were shining, you know. So it was just it was different because I, I got to see you be comfortable in a different way. Because it's not like you didn't seem comfortable, you know, in your masculinity at that time. But like it was just different. I was like, oh, no, this is like you for real, for real. Um, yeah. And so it was, you know, to be able to do that um, boldly. And I mean, you know, we're doing a shoot and we're out in public, you know, we're on a campus and, you know, we're doing that. But <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you were comfortable um, and just being yourself and not worried about anybody else. Um, not worried about like people looking on and what they have to say. And, but, but my thing is the feedback was all good. Like there was no, and that's the thing about getting to a place where you are, where you do have community. Um, because even people who were like looking, kind of just passing by and, and who saw, everybody gave positive feedback. Nobody was, you know, looking at us crazy or nothing like that. Everybody was like, you know, okay. And just, you know, um, yeah. and, you know, and embracing it that way. So, I mean, at this point in time, because that was a while ago, do you have community? Like it has, have you found any community there or have you had to like go somewhere else to have that? Well, um, I'm in a weird space right now, struggling with the community issues, but I do want to say this. I'm so thankful for actually being a part of that media account because of that, because of that media account, I'm at the organization who I'm doing a lot of work through now, which is Southerners on New Ground. Yes, um, song is everything. Oh, God. Yes, because of that media camp, I was able to connect with Mary, and um, I was able to get involved with that organization. And now that I'm back home, I'm realizing there's more of there's more people that identify similarly to me here. But the only problem is there's nothing here bringing us together. There's no resources here. There's none of those things. So basically, this point in my life where I'm in the stage, I'm trying to create a um translate advocacy group here. I'm actually trying to bring a chapter of song here. I'm starting a chapter of song here in um, Southeast Alabama because there are people here. It's just there's no sense of community because one, it's such a rural area, so we're all spaced out. And there's a lot of people here living and hiding because of fear of violence for safety safety reasons. And, um, you know, now that I've been walking in my identity here in Southeast Alabama being a trans, for a long time I thought I was the only trans person here. Um, But as I started living boldly and out, I started meeting more people and then I realized like wow it's a lot more of us here than I actually expected we just have no sense of community and that's what I'm struggling with now was trying to build that community that we need and deserve here so do you feel like so is with doing the chapter song is that what you want to use as um kind of like the the vehicle to build that community or um or you said there was you were trying to have a chapter of you sung, and then there was another group too that you mentioned. Did you say translate? No, it's just songs. Something that's on the ground. Oh, just um, okay. My whole thing is right now is I like the work this song is doing. Um, I identify with the work. I feel like the work is necessary and it's extremely needed here in the area. And another thing that interests me about starting a song chapter is the fact that we don't have the resources. I feel like a lot of people, it seems like there's not many LGBT people here because of the lack of resources. They're here, but there's no resources to bring them together. You know what I'm saying? So like when I transitioned here, it was a struggle for me because there was no resources. Like finding a doctor and finding therapists and and finding all these situations was a complete battle for me here in Southeast Alabama. And, um, And there's no one fighting for our rights here. There's no one pushing for policy change or there's no one pushing for legislation to protect us here. And, um, I feel like before we can even get 
get a community started, we need a system of protection. And that was what drew me to um, what drew me to Southerners on New Ground and what ultimately made me decide I want to start a chapter here. So I know that you do go to, like, I mean, when we met, we were um, both in Atlanta and I know that you'll, you'll go there periodically and stuff like that. So I know where you are now, like it, you've talked about how it was very difficult to uh, find community there, transition there. So what made you decide that you were going to still go through that process there, even in, a, in an environment that I guess uh, didn't have a lot of resources as opposed to like maybe going, because I talked to another guest who moved because where he lived, um, he was having issues with resources too. And he, you know, he was also in the South. And so he moved um, to somewhere where he where he had better medical care and just more options. And his um, and his po- it positively impacted his transition. But um, being, you know, of course, that's home. But being somewhere where it's like, OK, well, I'm trying to do these things because, like, this is who I am and really kind of like coming to my, you know, my own womanhood. But I don't have the resources or it's not necessarily the, the nurturing environment to do it. So I guess what made you decide to to still do it there? And how are you able, like, how are you able to to do it despite the circumstances? Well, as you know, at one point in time, I was planning on leaving. I was actually planning to come to the area that you're in now. Um, but I ultimately decided to stay because I felt like no one's going to bring resources to this area for us. We have to do it ourselves. And um, I felt like I had the drive to actually be the person to trailblaze for these resources here. And um, once I found out, like, how many people were here and living in hiding and, and so many other LGBT members here that doesn't have the, you know, the resources to relocate for their transitional needs, I feel like no one should have to. Like, you should be able to transition right here at home and without any issue. And I feel like this area needed me more than I needed somewhere else. So, so I decided to stay and I decided to jump into um, the organization Southerners on the Ground with both feet, learning everything that I can and taking leadership from the people from the organization to help me build that here. Because it's like, if I leave here, there's so many people that's here that's just living and surviving. And that's the only thing they can concentrate on. They can't even concentrate on their transition because they're too boggled down with trying to survive. And I feel like right. that shouldn't be your existence in a place that you're from. You know, this is just... This your home should be, you yeah, know, the state of your home should be at home. <laughs> right. It should be a state of security. It should be a place of safety, a place that you feel wanted, not a place that you feel like you need to survive. And um, so I guess it was a lot of it was a lot of resentment in me because of that. And I was like, you know what? I'll be damned if I leave here. These people are not going to um these people are not gonna refuse me. These and and if somebody if I feel like if I don't start to fight, no one will. So I decided so really to stay. Was like a, a form of resistance too. You know, True. it was a form of resistance for you to say. And I mean, I do understand that. And I feel like um, one of the things that is such a, a classic like black woman thing is, um, you know, kind of building things from the ground up. And, you know, it's kind of like we don't, oh, we have this need, we see this need. And so something has to be d- done about it. And so we take it into our own hands. That's, it, that is very much a um, kind of like the legacy of black women. Absolutely. Um, so that so that doesn't surprise me that you decided to do that. Um, but I know it was hard. It's now I'm in uh, L.A. and one of the biggest differences for me out here is that, you know, people are more spread out. Um, and I mean, Atlanta is, you know, has its ways that it's spread out, but it's just different here. And the the demographics are different. Um, one of the things I miss that I miss about Atlanta is the black. It's so black. It's so Absolutely. black. And I, and I just... 
that is so um, affirming to me. I mean, like I always say, I'm Black first. And so being surrounded by, you know, Black people and Black queer people um, was very, very affirming, especially coming from when I was younger. I, I lived in Atlanta off and on, but at, uh, for a chunk of time, I did live in Southern Georgia, the country. I won't even like mention the city <laughs> name because it's a very small town. And I lived there with my grandmother for a few years. And um and this is when I, I, I knew for a long time that I was queer. Like, I mean, I knew I was very clear that I, you know, I, I was interested in women um, before I even really knew how I felt about guys for real. But I felt so isolated in that small town. And so it was everything for me to be able to, um, when we start, when I stayed, came back to Atlanta, um, it was everything for me to be able to connect with a community and not feel by myself and not feel like I'm the only person, you know, who, who identifies this way. So that can be very affirming. It can be very isolating. Um, and it gets hard, uh, trying to build things from the ground up. And that's what I've experienced now at this point in my life Now that I've been out here, you know, um, I look around and I'm like, okay, I, I want to connect with other people who I can relate to and who can relate to me. And so I started like a meetup group and I tried, you know, going out to some stuff and it's kind of building it and it being sustainable has been my issue is, you know, being able to connect with other people because folks are so spread out and do it, doing it in a sustainable way. Um, so that is something that's difficult, but it's something that's necessary. And we often find ourselves in positions where we're having to build that, you know, we have to like build that from the ground up. I mean, Charmaine and I, my producer, we met I started the meetup group. And so that's how I met her. And so, I mean, out of that group of women, it may, it's, there are only like maybe a few who I talk to regularly, but still, like, I would not have known her. I would not have known, I mean, one of the other tricks in the meetup group, I mean, she came to Mexico for my wedding, all the kind of stuff. So it's like, I would not have known them, not even, you know, had that little small piece of community if I hadn't basically just was like, you know, I got to just create it myself. So that does get, it, it does get tiring, though, always having to kind of like build from the ground up. So what do you do to kind of like balance that out? Because if you're doing that work, is it something that you're finding you're having to do by yourself? Like, you know, have you been able to connect with anybody else to help kind of reinforce you and, and help you do that work? Or just if you need a break, you know, like, OK, well, I've been working and building and I just need to be able to kind of sit back and find some kind of comfort with, you know, people who I can connect with, because it does get it can be very isolating and draining when you're having to build that from the ground up. You're absolutely right. And without a leadership from Southerners on the ground, I don't think I'll be able to do it. Um, I mean, I just recently went to a leadership conference that they held in Nashville that was in partnership with the Transgender Law Center. Um, and we went to the leadership conference and got some great tools about, I learned a lot about policy change and challenging legislation. Um, the process I'm in right now is, right now I'm just collecting resources. And I'm collecting resources through my own personal experience through transitioning. Because I know what put a lot of trans people here, the biggest thing is actually being able to start their transition. Like it was a battle for me just to find a doctor to start hormone replacement therapy and and finding therapists who were um I would say it was sort of before finding therapists who were LGBT friendly. That's not a word I was looking for, but that's what I'm going to use for lack of a better term. And um, so basically what I've been doing right now is I've been reaching out to a lot of um, healthcare providers and um, different professions and just building a list of resources. And then I'm going to start doing outreach to the LGBT community that is here. I've got a couple people who are on board and helping me. And but right now I'm just really just gathering information and, and things like that so I can be of help to people when they do come and ask. So you're making yourself a resource basically <laughs> you know of course yeah. like, collect, 
you know, learning and uh, finding out what's out there and kind of really putting that all in one place, which is definitely important. Um, but I mean, that's it does boil down to by doing that, you're making yourself a resource, kind of like yes. making yourself the resource that you would have wanted to have. Absolutely. I did an interview a while ago on um, a radio station and they asked me growing up who was my role model. And I didn't have an answer to that because my whole life I basically had to guide myself. And especially through my transition, I basically transitioned alone. I didn't have anyone. I didn't know anyone that was able to guide me through the transition. I've had people that wasn't from here telling me, like, OK, this is what you need to do. But at the same time, that's a, it's a struggle for me to do those things where I'm from. But I had no one here. Right. They didn't have the context of doing it where you are. They can be like, oh, this is what you do. But they're in a place that the environment isn't the same, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So for the most part, for me transitioning, I had to do it alone. I did it all by myself. And um, so I'm using my transition as a template. Now I'm learning what other people need to know. And I'm learning about other people to and other identities that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to know if I didn't do outreach and, and put myself out there to meet other people from other different backgrounds. I'm talking about like other identities with under the trans umbrella and the things that they need and, and the things that is important to them and their identity. And just like you said, absolutely, I'm making myself a resource. I guess I have to be the person that I, the, the younger me needed. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because I felt, like I said earlier, I feel like we have to bring those resources to ourselves. We can't sit back and expect someone else to do it for us. Right. And, um, They're not going to. <laughs> They're just not. They're not going to do it. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> your head that. I mean, and part of it is because like, um, no one is, we're the authorities on ourselves. So it's like, I can't really sit back and wait for other people to, um, to bring resources to me because they don't even necessarily know what I need. You know, they Absolutely. don't know what resources I, you know, specifically need. So I have to be, you know, kind of just advocate for myself and, and I know myself best. So I know, okay, here's what I need, you know, as opposed to someone else telling me what I need. Um, so that's, I mean, it does put us in a, in a position where we do have to, a lot of times spearhead a lot of stuff and, you know, be that resource. Um, and a lot of other people don't have to go through that. Um, and so I know sometimes for me, like it, it will get frustrating, you know, it's like, okay, I know I need to do this. I know, but I will get frustrated because I'm like, everybody doesn't have to, you know, go through this. You know, some people, they have the accessibility and it's just like on a platter for them. And I do at times when I get frustrated, I do envy that because I'm like, we have to like literally build from the ground up and, and some folks already have it built for them. You Absolutely. Know, so. Yeah, I go through that too. Plenty of times where I would talk to girls from other areas and they tell me how easy it was for them to transition or how easy it was for them to do this. And I'm like, well, Girl, I am so upset right now that it was so easy for you. <laughs> right. It's like, I don't want you to struggle, but it's like, damn, I'm in the trenches, you know? <laughs> right. Um, no, it's, that's a tough, a tough spot to be in. It really is. But what I, so something else I wanted to ask about, because of course, when we did the, um, the media camp and the media camp was through Spark. So shout out Spark. Um, cause it was just, they, they do it every year and it, it was definitely just bomb. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I met so many amazing, you know, black queer folks and that was really bomb. But one of the things that we, you know, also got a chance to connect over was definitely music. So as you've been, one of the things I actually was just telling my wife, um, when I was telling her that I was going to have you on, you know, you're going through this process, but also you are an artist, you know, so it's like you're going through this very publicly, you know, you you didn't really kind of like disappear, you know, and transition and then kind of like, you know, hey, I'm back type of thing. Um, right. It's very public, like, you know, and um, because you're, you still, of course, like you didn't put your music on hold or anything to 
transition throughout this whole process, you're still working on your music. You're still making appearances. You're still performing. Stuff like that really stood out to me because I'm like, okay, that had to have been quite an experience, you know, to be able to, to, to go through that process and still be very like a public, you know, figure basically, and still be working on your music. And so how did that, that's a different element that not every trans woman or trans person can say that they've had. You know, in the process, a lot of times people do have the opportunity to kind of like step back and, and they're like, you know what, I'm going to take this time to just, you know, work on this and kind of like not be in the spotlight. But it was the complete opposite <laughs> for you because you were still doing your music. So you, how do you feel like that impacted that process? Well, funny thing is, I really didn't have much of a choice. Um, um, as you know, I did a show, the BET show One Shot. I was on One Shot. And I remember like when I came in, I wasn't. I didn't fully um, identify as trans at the time. I was still going through the process of learning, I'm figuring out my gender identity. And I came in explaining that I was gender fluid and gender non-conforming. And um, I guess that concept was just a little too much for the producers of the show to grasp. And I remember I was having an interview with one of the producers and they're like, we're just gonna say you're trans. Hey. <laughs> so, I was, so I was like, oh, okay. All right, well, I guess I'm trans <laughs> now. Oh, geez. And it was, it was actually an affirming moment for me because like, I knew I was trans at the moment, um, but at the time I just didn't feel comfortable being public with it for the simple fact that I haven't moved nowhere within my transition at the time. And they kind of pushed me out there and it was a push that I needed. I 100% necessarily needed. And so once that happened, I'm like, okay, it's public. Everyone knows now you got to get on your grind and get your transition together. And, um, but yeah, it's been, it's, it's very hard, first of all, because I'm a transgender woman in a predominantly cisgender heterosexual market. Hip hop is dominated right, by right. cishet people. And so I constantly have to deal with ignorance. I feel like I'm constantly underappreciated for my music. But at the same time, I feel like I've been places and I've experienced things within hip hop that the typical artist hasn't or would not have the opportunity simply because I am trans. And they think the story is a niche right now. The story is hot. it's a hot button topic. And um so it has propelled me in some ways and hindered me in others. But like I said, it's 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 a struggle, it's a process because um right now I feel like the idea of what trans is is extremely glamorized. And right. I saw that you were talking about that um on a thread on Facebook just about this whole which I mean my like my first love ended up transitioning and so we, it was one of those things we talked about and because I started kind of seeking out uh more trans people because I wanted to know how to best support him um because I was like well I'm not trans so I can't I'm not going to assume so I will talk to other trans men and just be like okay what what, what is it that you feel like you know would be good to be a supportive partner but one of the things was like this whole idea of being stealth. And I do know trans people who are stealth and who, you know, it's a safety thing. But this whole thing about like passing, if you're not someone who, quote unquote, passes, then you don't have that that option really to kind of like, OK, well, I can be stealth for my safety. And but and it being like this very kind of one dimensional view of what a trans woman looks like, what a trans man looks like. Um, but I see it from the outside looking in, I see it more so with trans women. Like, this is what the, that's supposed to look like. And I'm just like, well, all women come in all different types of, <laughs> you know, looks and stuff like that. Like, we do right. all, don't all fit that standard. Um, I don't fit this. You know, it's just like, regardless, you know, 
it, it's it just it's crazy to me. I get it, you know. What I'm saying I get why it is that way, but it's still messed up that it's that way. Absolutely, and for me, for someone like me, I can pass when I absolutely want to. Like I have to try really, really hard to pass in public to this cishet community. And I know girls. There's some girls out there who just doesn't have that choice to make to be able to pass or not to pass. And watching shows like Pose and Stray, these are shows, of course, are very important shows because they're actually humanizing trans women. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it's perpetuating this unobtainable standard of beauty for trans women. Right. So now it's people... Impossible. It's like, who... Because it does require certain resources, too, to be able to... It's like, okay, well, if this is what the standard you're putting out as a standard for trans women, but it requires... You know, you have to have a certain wardrobe. You have to have certain makeup. You have to have, you know, your hair this way. And a lot of people do not have, especially a lot of like black trans women don't have those resources. They're like, look, I'm trying to make it day to day and, you know, be my, my full self in the midst of that. I don't have a, a Mac <laughs> makeup budget. You know, I don't have absolutely you know, all this hair and all this kind of stuff. And so it is a very like beauty queen kind of uh, kind of aesthetic. And it requires resources that not everybody has. Everybody doesn't have like the finances to be able to do all the all the things that it takes to, you know, pass. Absolutely. Um, and they shouldn't have to, though, you know, because like you're, you're not less of a woman because you don't pass. You're not less of a woman because you don't, you know, have on a bunch of makeup and your hair's not this way. You're wearing these kind of clothes like you're still a woman regardless of all those things. But it's like setting a very specific <laughs> standard for this is what you have to look like. Yeah, and I can understand why they're doing it because I remember for the longest time the only um, depiction of trans women that we had in the media was like the girls who didn't pass and they used them as a joke. Like the girls we would see bring out, mm-hmm. Jerry Springer would bring out his guest and then I have like right. a non-passing trans woman like, oh, it's a joke. Ha ha, this is oh, that's from their standard, this is a man in a wig. And now I feel like I feel like the, the, the coverage that we're getting now, they're trying to basically change that narrative. But at the same time, they're leaving this huge gray area of women who are living and not able to pass but are still human right, right. are still human they're trying to humanize the beauty queens which that's very easy to do it's a it's a palatable trans woman that they're right exactly it's like closer proximity to cis <laughs> you know exactly so it's like okay well hey by the way it, it, it's almost like this um it's like, okay well here's a trans woman and you wouldn't know it like type of thing and i'm like Okay, I I get it, you know, I get it. And uh, because that is important, too, to be like, okay, well, you can't assume that a woman looks a particular way. You can't assume that a woman is cis or trans or whatever just based on appearances alone. So I get that aspect of it. Um, But it does leave a lot of women hanging. It does leave a lot of trans women hanging who don't fit that. It's like, okay, so am I not deserving? You know, it's kind of like that kind of thing. Am I not deserving of humanity because I don't pass? And then, and some don't want to. That's what exactly. like, that's not everybody's goal. So that was my kind of like just looking at that. I'm like, okay, well, that's fine or whatever, but honestly, that's not every trans person's goal. Absolutely. And that's fine. Like, they shouldn't have to. You know, they shouldn't have to, to be acceptable or to be like, oh, well, you're doing things the right way. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, no, <laughs> they're just being themselves. And that trans woman can still be masculine. That trans woman may not fit this hyper femininity um, because you're not required to be feminine just because, you know, just because you're a woman. There's plenty of women who are not. And so just like there are plenty of cis women who are not, there are plenty of trans women who are like, you know what? I'm comfortable 
for masculinity. I, I'm still a woman. Right. And I've seen like um, casting calls for trans women that will specifically say looking for passable trans women or looking for non-passable trans women for the certain oh, roles. Oh, my gosh. And the, the reason why I wanted to say that on this podcast so people can understand that these narratives that they're putting out is on purpose. It's not just so happened we're going to put out on a show with beautiful trans women and it's, it's just a coincidence that everyone who got the role was beautiful. Right. No, or everyone who got the role were passable. No, that's what they were looking for. That's the narrative they wanted to create when they wrote the show. Or if you see a girl who's not passable playing a role and she's a joke or whatever, that's the narrative they were looking to create from the beginning of it. Because I can't right. see, I can't imagine someone like Sydney Starr, the other girls who are in acting, who pass, playing a role of the joke because they're beautiful. You get what I'm saying? But at the same well, time, I can't like, see... Oh, well, they're, they're acceptable. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So it's like, they're not a joke. It's, it's to show you... But it's that proximity to show, oh, well, she looks, you know, you can't tell, so, you know, which is just so crazy to me. It, I mean, taking someone and, and making them, and, and that's that is something that black women and black trans women. I mean, that's done a lot. Absolutely. Kind of the stereotype or like taking something and really making a joke out of it, whether it's, you know, a, a black trans woman who does not pass or it's like a black woman who is considered like ghetto or hood or right. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a caricature, you know, they create these caricatures of of black womanhood as opposed to like showing like, oh, well, we do have nuanced expressions and nuanced experiences. It's like, no, well, if you fit into the status quo, if you fit into that norm, because that still all goes back to like overall social expectations of beauty and all that kind of stuff. If you can fit into that neatly, you can fit into this box, then okay, cool. You get to come along, you know? So it really is right. that proximity to that, to privilege, you know, um, that kind of gets you a ticket, but it leaves a lot of people just out to dry because plenty of people Absolutely. don't, whether by choice or by force, plenty of people don't pass. And it's like, okay, so I don't get to kind of jump on this bandwagon because um, I don't fit, you know? So it's like, you're, you're ostracized if you don't fit whether it's you don't fit because you don't pass, you don't fit because you're not thin, you don't fit because you you just all those kind of things are like, okay, well, we'll leave you <laughs> in the background. Right. And it bleeds over into society. There's been so many times where guys will hit me up or I'll meet a guy and they'll find out I'm trans and the first thing they say to me, you mean it as a compliment, but I always it always feels like a insult to me when they say, Oh, I had no idea you were trans. I can't tell. And I like, what do you mean? Like they what feel is like trans? It's the highest compliment ever. Like, oh, you passed. You, passed, <sighs> you know, could have fooled me. And I'm like, oh right. okay. absolutely. And I always make the point to ask them, like, what do you think trans is supposed to look like? Um, what is your idea of what trans is? And it's usually some watered-down version of trans that they seen either in porn or they, what they see on TV as a strut in, um, Gosh. yeah, pose. And I'm like, no, there's this, the trans binary is, is a lot more diverse than that. You should really do a little more research before you <laughs> speak to a trans woman. Right. I mean, it's so... I don't, it's so presumptuous, though, to assume that a trans woman's goal is to fit into a certain beauty standard. Like, you know, womanhood is broad, broad enough to be able to encompass all the, the spectrum, you know, so it's not 
it's like the fact that people think that, oh, well, you're a trans woman. So your your ultimate goal is to pass and to look like this. And to I'm like, that's just it's bullshit um, because womanhood is is broad enough of a spectrum to encompass to be able to accommodate whatever that presentation looks like and whatever. Um, like basically, if you're a woman, then whatever you are, it just is what it is. That is a part of womanhood. It shouldn't have to be. Oh, do you check off these boxes? Um, so it's presumptuous for, for them to feel like, oh, I didn't know, you know, them telling you that, oh, I never would have known. And, like, that's such a big compliment. It's like you already coming in a gate with assumptions. Right. Um, you know, it's like shifting that mindset of you shouldn't assume in the first place. <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't understand. A lot of times it kind of catches me off guard. Dating for me here in Alabama is the worst because 90 percent of the guys who I deal with doesn't have any experiences with trans women outside of porn. Oh, gosh. And, and so that's like, not a place to go to for any kind of knowledge like whatsoever. So I tend to often have to fight for my humanity simply from the interactions that I have with men, fight for my humanity and fight for my dignity because I don't know. A lot of guys have this 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 preconceived notion that trans women transition for sexual attention. And I was like, this what? utterly insane. Y'all wanna guys see that. Guys have okay, this is mm, men have a tendency and this is our society, they have a tendency of reducing things to sex. So to say like, oh, well, you transition to get sexual attention or even like what I get all the damn time is um, either even being with a woman, being with women to like appeal to men or or just until a man comes along or it all boils down to sex. And I'm just like, it does. It just shows how we are objectified and reduced to sex. And and black women are that's that happens to black women more than anybody else um, of being reduced to to sex of like it, either it's like we're trying to get a certain kind of attention or that's what we're good for. And, our, and I'm, it's just, just so ridiculous. Um to, to boil someone's humanity down to sex. <laughs> you know, this whole person's identity. You're like, it's about sex. That's And it's, it's so weird because before I transitioned, like, I, I really had no idea what I was getting into. And um, I actually went through, I had a conversation with myself because I honestly thought, this is not denying you of me. I honestly thought that if I transitioned, then my love, like my sex life was going to be over. And I rationalized this by thinking, because I spent so much of my life being involved with gay men. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I rationalized this thinking that gay men aren't attracted to women. And then I had this other notion that I was believing that straight men weren't attracted to trans women, which I had no clue what I was getting Man. myself involved in until Very I fetishized trans women. Lord yes, they do. They do. Absolutely do. And a lot of people don't understand that because a lot of people think like trans women are out here tricking their men. And it's like, this 100% not the not the point. That's not what we're doing. It's not even close to it. We are actually seeked out by a lot of men. We're looked for it. We're fought for I mean, I hate that whole rhetoric. I hate that that shit so much about the tricking. I'm like, are y'all are y'all serious? Just the fact that that is a that's like a societal kind of like narrative that trans women are tricking. Are you? That's so fucking ridiculous to me. And I Please. get um, I get where it comes from. You know what I mean? But it's still fucking ridiculous. It doesn't make it any less ridiculous to me that this whole thing about, well, oh, you have to tell like this is what pisses me off when people go on these whole tirades about you have to tell someone up front if you're, you know, trans because you can't, that's not fair. You can't trick them. And I'm like, do you know you're not entitled? First of all, some shit is none of your business. And you're not entitled to know everything about a person when you first meet them. 
and if you're not going to have a certain kind of involvement with them, and honestly, that's up to that woman or that's up to that man or that's up to whoever to decide what and if they want to disclose. They don't owe you anything. They don't owe you shit. So this this entitlement and people have that. I notice people have that toward like, especially black LGBT people more so than they do to the general public. Like they feel entitled to know very intimate, personal things. Like, you know, people asking, I was talking about this on another podcast. People ask like, how do y'all have sex? And that kind of stuff. That's so fucking personal. Are you kidding? Like you don't walk up to some cishet, you know, person like, Hey, so how do you have sex? You know, it's right. this, this entitlement to our lives and our, you know, the, but also shows the, you know, the dehumanization because you feel like you don't see, you see me as less than, so you feel like you ask me whatever the fuck you want to ask me. You feel like you can say whatever you want to say and ask me about, oh, have you, have you had such and such a surgery? And how fucking, that is so personal and so private and so intimate. And people have the audacity to straight up ask. <clears throat> straight up ask those kind of things and feel like they're entitled for, to a response. Like they feel like, oh, you, you're supposed to tell me you're obligated. To Absolutely. Me. Are you fucking kidding me? Because you don't expect that of anybody else. You don't expect that of cishet people to be like, you walk up and ask them uh, some medical information or you walk up and ask them something about their sexual experiences or whatever. And you don't do that to them. But it's like a, to me, it's like a, almost like a circus type thing or like a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of it right now, but it's, it's just so, so insidious and so ridiculous to me that, that that's what the narrative is. I'm like, y'all don't watch your damn mind that you think yeah, it's okay here's, <laughs> to do that. Yeah. And here's the thing and what makes that narrative so dangerous because a lot of people use that as a, I'm saying they use that narrative as a way to justify the murder of transgender women of color because guys will commit these heinous acts and then go to court and use that as a um and use it as an excuse to get lesser time oh, yeah, and it absolutely. absolutely works and yeah like there's no protection under the law for us and 97 percent of the time when this happens the guy knew from the job that this woman was trans it's just that they, a, a lot of times they see trans women as an easy target so some trans women are sex workers and they're out there working they're putting themselves in a, in, in a line of danger to where they can be robbed and murdered by a potential client and that client if, if they're caught can go to court and plead temporary insanity as a defense and plead for a lesser Which sentence is so ridiculous like, oh, I black, oh, I temporarily, you know, <laughs> that's so ridiculous. I blacked out or I just got so angry. I just couldn't control myself. Okay. Yeah. Because out of all my interactions with men since I transitioned, I've never, ever, ever had to trick or lie to God. It's never even been an idea to cross my mind. I literally, and here's the thing about me, like, I'm not like the beauty queen that you see on TV. I'm not the most passable girl. Like, yeah, I can pass if I put effort towards it, but I'm not, you know, I'm no MJ from um, Pose. I'm not that beauty queen, but I on a constantly, on a daily basis, everywhere I go, I deal with sexual harassment, whether I'm passing that day right. or not. And and these guys don't care. They know they don't care. They still seek us out. They fetishize us. They objectify us. And if it comes down to it, a lot of these guys are willing to kill us to keep their secrets safe. But right. these trans women are not out here tricking these guys. And I wish we could take control of that narrative now that we have a little media attention. Right. Because that is it's bullshit. I'm like, the thing is, it, it just is. It just is bullshit. We already know um, how guys are in, in our society. And there definitely is this targeting. And, this, and, and that's the thing. Like, Black women get objectified and fetishized and Black trans women even more so. So... 
it's no that whole thing about the tricking or whatever just really plays into the larger narrative of that larger rhetoric of like dehumanization because in reality that's not what's happening like in reality that's just not what <laughs> folks are doing I mean it's so ridiculous like it's not funny but I'm laughing because I'm just like it's so ridiculous that's so not what is happening like guys are seeking out like trans women and, and it is like this exoticism this fetishism type of thing going on it's not like, you know, you're just going about your day and you're like, oh, I got to know this woman and I didn't know she was trans. And then we're about to like, you know, have sex or something like that. And then I see some like that's just not it's not fucking real life. Like, no, you are specifically seeking trans women. And then because you don't want anybody to know, it's, it's like your dirty little secret. But it's unfair because you have trans women who just want love and relationships just like everybody else. Or even if they do just want sex, they still just want to be able to engage in those things just like anybody else. And you are specifically targeting them and specifically dehumanizing and objectifying them and fetishizing them to be like, oh, well, I can have my way with you, you know, but, you know, to for my cover, I can just toss you aside or, you know, I can take your life. You're disposable. And that's so fucked up. And that's that whole narrative um, around black trans women and around black women, because we're seen as being at the bottom of the totem pole. So black trans women kind of have that double. We're seen as at the bottom of the totem pole where it's people who will be involved with black women. And then it's like, oh, I'm fine to have sex with you. I'm fine to sleep with you, but I won't claim you or anything like that. Or I won't claim any kind of a connection to you outside of that. Only behind closed doors. It's that whole thing. And I'm just like, so no, that, that whole narrative that, you know, trans women are out tricking. I I just hate, I hate that language. And it's just not fucking true. Like, it's just not true. So, <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah, I'm like, how's this bullshit? Like, that's, it's just so not what's happening. But that's, but, you know, but, but guys know that they're, that, that is the kind of predominant, like, social, uh, social narrative. And they use it to their advantage. They're like, oh, well, you know, if, if I don't get what I want from this person, or I do get what I want or whatever, and I'm just like, I don't want to be quote unquote exposed, I'll just say that you, you know, that you tricked me. I'll just say that I didn't know those kind of things. I'm like, it, it's so ridiculous. It's crazy. And it's sad that we go through this. It makes one, it makes me extremely fearful for interaction with cis men. And it breaks my heart to see what's going on down in um Jacksonville, Florida right now. They're actually thinking it's there's a serial killer that's targeting transgender women of color in Jacksonville. Yeah, I saw that. Florida right now. It's terrifying to think that um, to think that these interactions with men can ultimately turn up deadly simply because they see us being disposable. And then another thing, there's no systems of protection for us. In most places in Alabama, like the area that I live in, there's no protection for transgender women under the law. Um, we're not protected under the hate crime law. So we can be subjected to violence and, and all those things here. And the perpetrator would not be subjected to the harsher punishments that's brought down by the hate crime law. There's places in Alabama like Montgomery, I think Montgomery passed the law. It was a city ordinance that extends protection to trans women. I think Birmingham did too. But like the area that I live in down here, there's no protection for us. And um, and there's a lot of states, a lot of places in the United States, especially these red states, that doesn't have protection for transgender women under the law. And there's another thing that brings back to the work that I ultimately am about to engulf on and jump into, jumping into policy change and challenging legislation and try to get some of this protection for transgender women. Things like this is important. And one thing I've noticed is like no one else is going to fight for that 
except for us. We have to get out there and I hate to make it seem like that the whole burden falls on us, but it absolutely does. We have to get out there and we have to make sure that our needs are met through these politicians and, and our agenda is is actually put on the put onto the board for discussion. And um that I just feel like we as trans women, we have to be a little more active within the political side of our local politics. We have to really get out it's here just, and push for it. It's just what pisses me. I mean, which I mean, that's definitely true. I agree. But what pisses me off about that is that, you know, when we look at what's what happens in our world and we look at the people who um, who advocate for, who stand up for Black men, you know, it's Black women, trans Absolutely. otherwise. So it pisses me off because I'm like, okay, when, you know, we're out in the streets, I see Black queer folks and I see Black queer women predominantly. So yeah, I um, yeah, I just think that it, it just pisses me off, honestly, because I'm like, okay, we are out, you know, in the streets, we're out um, supporting not just in the streets, but it's like in every aspect of life, you know, it's black women, it's black trans women, it's black queer folks who are very supportive of black men who uphold black men and all this kind of stuff. And they are the ones who are the perpetrators. You know, they're the ones who I'm like, you have it's black trans women out here fighting for your ass. Right. And you're and you're the one who's perpetuating violence. It's black women out here, you know, advocating for you. It's black women taking care of you in every way. Um, and but we get the most violent from you, that kind of so it just pisses me off because I'm like, okay, well. We got to do all the work for ourselves and we do all the work for these motherfuckers too and have to like protect ourselves from them and stuff. So it just is, you know, and black trans women have to do that times two, you know, so it really, it just really pisses me off because I'm like, I, I know I, I can count. I mean, there's been so many times I've like gone to different like protests and rallies and that kind of stuff. When I look around me, I see black women, I see black women, I see black trans women, I see black women. Like as a collective, we're we're the ones who are out there who are, you know, doing the work, um, but we're not getting that support in return. We're getting violence. You know, it's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, I, that's something I've noticed, too. And I feel like it's time for Black women in general to put our issues to the forefront and look out for ourselves. Because um, so, so often I see Black women supporting a movement and really propelling a movement and pushing a movement and being the backbone of the movement. And yeah, that's look, say that part about propelling it, really. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I've seen Black women be the entire movement just so that movement can gain momentum and then it becomes it becomes like taken over by someone else and the black women are pushed to the side like if you look at the whole feminist movement I feel like anyone with intersectionalities when it comes to the feminist movement have been pushed to the side just to push the agenda of the feminist movement and I think that's sad I think it should be a black women's movement well there is a black women's movement actually I don't want to sit here and try to like downplay the, the strides that black women has made and I feel right. like it's very important and I love it but I love the fact I'm seeing like black women actually putting black women issues first. Yeah. Instead of saying like, should, because absolutely. we put everybody else and, you know, help everybody else. And we do not get that in return. And it's like, we're looking at feminism. I mean, I, I definitely, I, I identify as a womanist because I'm like, you know, I got issues with white feminism, but that's one of the reasons why is because like, we will help to propel those movements. And then you have, you know, white women who are on some, I don't see color type of shit or who are trans exclusionary, and I'm like, are you kidding me? We're the ones who are out here doing this damn work. And you want to kind of like build on our backs and all that kind of stuff and then toss us aside. It's that disposable thing. And it goes, it circles back to that dehumanization of like you are, you know, I can use you, you're a tool. I can literally use you 
you know, consume you or whatever and toss you aside. And I'm just like, "Mm -mm, we got to be done with that. We got to, you know, stop helping everybody else, stop helping everybody else do all the stuff they need to do. And we do not get that reciprocity at all. Absolutely. Absolutely not. And, you know, it breaks my heart to see this happen so many times and it happens over and over again. Specifically, another big um, example I see is within the LGBT community and with the whole LGBT movement. For the simple fact that you see like these huge LGBT organizations push for the hate crime law to go into, um, go onto the book. And if you see trans women of color specifically propelled and started that whole movement, they got what they needed and transgender women are protected under the same law that we helped propel and push. And no one is helping mm-hmm. fight for these protections except for trans women. And I'm like, right. hello. <laughs> where are y'all at now? Like, we want protection too. Like, we help y'all get protection and help us get protection. <sighs> Yeah, but I do. No, there's no reciprocity. It's really not. And but my thing is, we have to look look at the legacy of our society, and that's the legacy of our society. Of you know, we do all the damn work, <laughs> we don't get reciprocity. That's like the very you know kind of like the fabric that this nation is is built on. Is that we are the ones to do the work, and we don't reap the benefits. Um, but I'm hoping that at this point in time that we're shifting to being like, okay, well, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to do all the work and not get the benefits. I know I'm tired. <laughs> so I'm just like, you know, I do see us in the trenches and on the front lines and doing all this stuff for shit that we don't benefit from. And it's just old. Um, and, and the thing is, it's more, it's not just that like, oh, well, we're not getting that reciprocity. So, but it's also like our lives are at stake. It's because like, we're not getting that. And and we are in danger too. You know, it's not like we can just say, oh, well, no, that's fine. We'll just, no, we're dying. Like that's a real thing that is happening every day. Um, so we can't afford it. We can't afford to do all the work for everybody else and not get reciprocity. Like our lives depend on it. Right. And speaking of which, I just thought about something else. Looking at what just happened in Alabama with Doug Jones winning the Senate seat. Um, and he won mainly because of black voters, specifically because of black women. And the, one of the first thing he does when he gets in office is he, 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 he votes in support of a bill that deregulates a lot of the um, regulations that was imposed on banks that basically stopped them from racial discrimination. And he just voted on the bill to roll back those regulations. And we were like, we just literally put you in office. And you already know who suffers because of that. (laughs) Absolutely. You already know who's going to get the the worst end of that, who this is going to affect. And you have to, America has a history of doing that towards Black people. And that's one thing I feel like Black people, there's another organization out there that I'm not a member of, but I 100% wholeheartedly support. And I don't know if you heard of this organization, but it's the Uhuru Movement and the Uhuru House coming out of Tampa, Florida. And one thing they really push is um, building a system of protection for Black people. And I feel like absolutely that's what we need. We need to stop. We need to get to a point to where we stop depending on others to right, pass not us anywhere. Like, it's not getting us anywhere. Them, but they're not doing it. So it's like, why are we still depending on them? It's right. And this whole two-party system is really the pits and, and the people who take, who this two-party system really disproportionately affects is the Black voter. Um we should push for our own candidates. And I know and I know it's a lot easier said than done. Right. 
but like we should push for our own candidates. Stop like supporting these other candidates just because they may do something for us in the future, or just because they supported something in the past, or just because they aren't someone else. The whole situation with Hillary. Um, right. I mean, we, but that that requires too like a dismantling on a large scale because the reality is this system is. I mean, it's not built for us. It's it's built to work against us. So absolutely. we look at this whole two party system. Neither party is built for us, <laughs> you know, ultimately. And people want to say, uh, talk about like Democrats and stuff like Democrats ain't here for us either. I mean, they're not on either side. They're not doing anything that's specifically for us. Um, so really, there needs to be a dismantling and a complete overhaul because we we are in a in this perpetual cycle where we're having to choose the quote-unquote lesser of the evils. But the reality is there is no lesser. It just looks different. It just manifests differently. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're both still evils. There's really no lesser evil. Um, but we are stuck in these positions where we're having to choose from, you know, bad and worse when really it's like none of that's for us. You know, we have Trump in office or whatever, but it's not like Hillary was for us either. So Absolutely. not saying that like, you know, so it's it's we're always kind of stuck in those positions where, you know, folks can say I, was, I just saw this thing circulating where this where this woman, this white woman was like, oh, well, if Hillary were in office, I'd be only thing I'd be stressed about is something about like interior decorating or something or another. And I'm like, OK, so you do know there still would be fucked up shit going on if she <laughs> was in office, too. Like, OK, so but that just shows people shows where their priorities are and shows that they're we're not living the same lives, because if you're like, oh, well her being in office would solve everything. It's like, no, we will still be going through the same struggle we've been going through. Hillary ain't here for us. She has made it very clear. None of them are here for us. So we have to recognize that and, you know, the shit just has to be torn down, really. Absolutely. I 100% agree. I 100% agree. But where do we start? That's the question. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're starting at a deficit. We're looking at, well, you know, we know this isn't right. We want to, when you look at dismantling oppression, but you're still doing it in the midst of being oppressed. So you still have limitations. You know, you still have limited resources to fight. You still have the tools, like that whole thing about the tools of your oppressor. That's what it is. It's like we're trying to beat a system in that system, you know, that's designed for us to fail. Um, It really is. It it really is difficult. And we we have to um, be innovative. We're going to have to kind of like collectively be innovative to figure out what do we do? How do we dismantle this? Because right now we're just operating with we're operating in the same way that they do. Like we're operating in the midst of the system using the same tools by saying, you know, oh, well, just get this person in office, then that person get in office and they do the same shit. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not working. It's That's not working for us. Absolutely, I absolutely agree. It's depressing when you really sit down and you look at it and you think about it and it can really take you to some dark places mentally, just realizing how oppressed we are and how how little hope we have. Right. I mean, that's why part of our resistance has to be us still striving in the midst of everything to like live our best lives and to have some kind of happiness and some kind of joy. And um, that is a part of our resistance. Like us in a, in a world that doesn't want us to survive, our survival is resistance. And also our thriving, our happiness, like daring to be happy, daring to love in the midst of a world that doesn't want you to do any of those things. Um, it's still resistance. So we have to have that balance of Yes, we're fighting. Yes, we're building. Yes, we're being a resource. Yes, we're teaching. Yes, we're growing. Yes, we're doing all this stuff. But like sometimes you just got to do some shit because it makes you happy. And that it, you know, and understanding that don't feel guilty about that. That's still resistance. 
you know, if you're like, you know what, I'm just going to veg out and watch some ratchet ass reality TV. If that's what you want to do to have your break, like you should not feel guilty about that. And we need those things. We need that self-care. We need like those things that we just unapologetically do for our damn selves. And that's not for anybody else. Um, So that's something that we that is also a form of our resistance and also resting. Like one of my one of my friends, she has this um, program, this movement It's called the Nap Ministry. And so she talks a lot about rest as resistance. And um, she talks about like liberation theology. She talks about a lot of stuff, but this whole thing, it, it revolves around rest as resistance and not feeling like we have to work, work, work all the time. We have to fight all the time that we are entitled to rest and that by resting in a world that wants us to literally be slaves, that that is still resistance, that you take a break, that you sleep, <laughs> you know, all those kind of things are still resistance. Um, in a world that like would just have you literally run yourself into the ground, just go, go, go until you physically can't go anymore. Um, and so we have to keep those things in mind too, that we do have to resist in those ways, um, resist with our happiness, resist with our rest, with our um, self-care and stuff like that and have balance because we can't, we'll burn out, you know, and it's, and it's easy to do that because there are so many things weighing on us and it is depressing. It is, and it impacts our mental health. And it impacts our physical health and all the kind of stuff. So it's understandable, but we have to have the balance and we have to unapologetically claim it because, you know, if we leave it up to other people, we just going to be dead. I mean, we're not going to ever get that rest. We're not going to ever get that um, that sustenance that we need. So we have to just take it. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. You have to take self-care. So what is it? Speaking of self-care. So what do you do for self-care? Um, I write. I write. I write a lot of music. I'm actually in the middle of working on my first novel. Um, it's a fantasy and mysticism novel. I tell people and I explain to them what it is. People ask me all the time, what is it about? I say it's a black Harry Potter. It was called Manifestations of Black Girl Magic. Um, I'm excited to get that out into the world. And I rest, I sleep, but for therapy, writing is therapeutic for me, whether it's through my music or writing within a novel. And I just started a blog on my website, writing within my blog, writing in general, just extremely therapeutic to me. Because I oftentimes, I am, I'm very much introverted. I'm a, I'm a big introvert and um, I stay to myself a lot. And sometimes it's very easy for me to get lost in my own thoughts. And it is it, very easy for me to become very destructive in my own thoughts too. And so writing for me is just a tool for me to let out some of those feelings and some of those emotions that I tend to bring on myself within my own mind and be able to express myself in ways that I can't verbally. We all, we all have to have those, um, those outlets. And I think that that's one of the things that when we met, that was really one of the things that resonated with me because we both, you know, both talked about the impact that writing had for us. And I mean, I really, I do truly believe that in a lot of ways writing saved my life um, because I just, I had all this stuff (laughs) going on and I didn't know where to put it. And so I put it in my writing. Um, And so that's one of the things that really resonated with me when when we met and we were talking about music and just love of music because I do, I, I love music from like just the depths of my soul and I've, dabbled in making music but it's just like the it's just nothing like it um it's nothing like writing and it's nothing like music so um that was just one of those things that we talked about that we both held on to so um i think it's good that we have some kind of vehicle some kind of outlet um and to not lose sight of that in the midst of 
everything going on. So I am going Absolutely. to like play some of your music and stuff like that because I do want folks to be able to hear. I mean, I still like I showed you. I mean, I still have <laughs> a CD from damn 2012. Um, oh my god! Yes, I still like. I'm like, look, that has it has moved. It has come across the country with me. It is like <laughs> I'm like I still have it because it just meant it meant a lot to me to be able to listen to someone who I knew that I could identify with, not just as like, oh, we're both black or something like that. It was different. Um, so to hear yeah. that, I'm like. And you know, and you know what your style is in your music, and you're cocky as hell. So I love that, like that, you know, that speaks <laughs> to me too. Because I'm like, I just love the that the confidence and the cockiness, and the like, you know, yes, bitch, I'm the best, and you know, your like your lyrics are trash, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, so I love the that boldness, um, that bold confidence to just be like, yeah, so. Not only am I here, I'm boldly here, and I'm fucking better than you. <laughs> like, so just but I feel like coming into hip hop specifically as a trans woman, not only did I have to fight so hard just to get half the recognition, but I knew from the beginning, like coming into it, like I can't be slacking lyrically. You know, right. I knew that I can't give them any kind of leeway to discredit my ability. I knew that. Right. So I worked. Like, Very hard stuff, but it's like you you can't say I'm not a damn lyricist. You can say what the fuck you want to say. <laughs> Absolutely say whatever you want to say about me, but you cannot say that the music isn't good. Or I can't out rap you when your favorite rapper. Hello, that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's important. And I think honestly that that too is a form of resistance too. Like, yeah, I'm gonna be not am I only gonna be here, but I'm gonna be here and I'll be better than you. Animal wrap circles around your ass, like, and you're just gonna have to deal with it. And <clears throat> that is a very bold thing to do in a male, you know, like in a cishat dominated industry. But it's important. And um, if we need to see that that's being done, we need that for um, that reassurance and that motivation, like, okay, well, we do have, you know, folks out here who we can identify with who are doing that. Um, you know, Black trans women need to see that. Black queer people need to see that, um, need to have that person that, that we can all identify with. Um, and the industry does, does not reflect us, that, you know, demonizes us, that disrespects us, that objectifies us, but doesn't really reflect us. Um, it, no it's so important to have the representation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so important to have the representation. Um, so, yeah, I'm. that's something I always will always um, champion and always, you know, be here for. Um, and because, you know, it's good music is good music like i love something that i can ride to that i can dance to you know that kind of stuff and so that and we need that like you know i don't want to always be stressed the hell out like sometimes i'm like i just want to listen to some music and chill and you know and know that this is something i can listen to where i'm not going to be all kind of bitches and hoes and, right. <laughs> and uh, you know I, I don't have that conflict um, you know, when I'm listening. So that definitely is important. Um, so do you have anything that is coming out soon? Yes, I'm actually um, finishing up my first studio album. Um, I know I sent you a lot of the songs off the album. So probably a lot of the music you're going to play within this podcast are going to be songs off that album, unreleased songs. So I'm working on that. And of course, I'm still working on this book, Manifestations of Black Girl Magic. I'm going to speak it into the universe. You guys wait for that. <laughs> and that's basically it for me. 
at the moment. So it's this album in his book. Okay, I hear that. Well, I definitely appreciate you agreeing to come on, having a conversation with me, uh, catching up, because that's always nice. Um, and yeah, well, um, I'll make sure that I post you know, your social media and all that good stuff. So folks will be able to follow you. They'll be able to check out your music. Um, so that'll be good stuff, too. And um, yeah, I'm sure there's... We, we touched on a lot of stuff and I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation. I, I'm all, my thing is I'm all about uh, black, black women over everything. I said that all the time. I'm just like, listen, um, everybody else got to get in where you fit in black women over everything. Um, of course it includes black trans women. And I want to end by, there's this post that you, uh, that you put up and you are like, you know, protect black trans women at all costs. And someone was giving you, you know, was like, talking shit or whatever. And I'm just like, listen, you said what you said. <laughs> like, it's, that is what it is. Like, we need to protect Black women at all costs and protect Black trans women at all costs because Black trans women are catching everything, every kind of discrimination, every kind of oppression. Um, you know, it's just, it's, being, it's coming like tenfold. I mean, we can't afford to lose Black trans women. We just can't. Um, and so I and people need to understand that. So um, it's not it's not debatable. <laughs> it's just not up for debate. So so yeah. But I definitely I appreciate you coming on and having a conversation with me. And, Thank you for uh, having me. Just for being yourself. <laughs> and we are done. Hey girl. Damn. Damn you thick, shorty. Hey, let me holler at you though. <laughs> nah, come here, come here, come here. Oh, you just gonna play me to the left like that? Oh, you think you fine or something? You stuck up fat bitch. You ever thought about smiling sometimes? Shit, you ain't even gotta be like that. It ain't even that serious. Shit. Look, homie, you don't even fucking know me. You want me to smile so you can feel confident approaching me. You get mad when I walk off like I owe you gratitude because you noticed me, but you ain't really noticed me. All you know this was his ass and pizzazz and the fact that it's fat and it jiggle when I walk past. But I got a lot of shit on my mind, so I ain't got time for your dumb ass. I've been going through some real shit. Real problems only I gotta deal with. And I know you don't give a fuck. I could be damn near dead and you bum ass niggas would still hit. But my day is fucked up, so don't start with me. Starting to think the bad luck is a part of me, so part of me. Niggas always trying me, eyeing me, grabbing me when I'm trying to leave. Get your motherfucking hands up off of me. Accosting me, harassing me audibly, unlawfully. Being detained, why does our conversation got me feeling like I'm being restrained? God damn it, why the fuck is you niggas so aggressive? I don't even know you when you acting possessive. I appreciate the compliments, but I ain't receptive. I gotta be a bitch so you can get the message. And you niggas don't even try to pretend to respect this. I'm just trying to catch the buzz, but I'm dealing with heckles. And you ain't even trying to come original with it. Six niggas have said the same shit today, so what makes you different? But you want me to smile more. But truth is, I ain't got shit to smile for. I'm just minding my business and you niggas acting entitled to my attention. If you don't get it, you throw attention like children. Feels like I'm babysitting. Here's why I don't trust you niggas. Cause no matter how much you smile or how nice you are, I never know your intentions. Cause we living in a rape culture with men straight fan women. And I know you don't get it. Cause you ain't never been raped, have you? You ain't never been cornered off for no escape, have you? You ain't never been pinned under someone else's weight with they sweat dripping in your face and all you can do is pray, have you? Yeah, motherfucker, these looks could kill, but truth is, you wouldn't stand a chance in my high heels. How you want to know what's how this ass feels? But I'm dealing with pain that can be erased with an Advil. So understand that this mug come with context, but you can't stand being dissed by a bitch. So you call me a bitch because you're dealing with a complex. But it's way more.
more complex. You treating us women like cattle, my nigga. So why am I dealing with hagglers, my nigga? Why are you so easily frazzled, my nigga? Why your masculinity so fragile, my nigga? You niggas are toxic, what a psychotic. I am a human, I'm more than an object. I could be a god, a prophet, but I'm dealing with you and all of your nonsense. Stop it. When you talk down and clown women, you shouldn't even be allowed around women. Should be ashamed of your actions, degrading your blackness. You got a sick way of expressing attraction, and ain't none of that shit even gaining traction. Wasting your time with the game and macking is lame and tragic. And I can imagine your ancestors turning in graves and caskets. You raising your daughter to avoid niggas like you. But then turn around and want your son to be just like you. So the cycle continues. You teach your daughter that she's not a piece of meat, but teach your son how to put her on a menu. Now she's walking in these streets and niggas telling her to smile more. But truth is, she ain't got shit to smile for. See, we teach our little girls to avoid strange men, but when are we gonna teach our little boys not to be strange men? <laughs> we teach our little girls how not to be raped, but we never teach little boys not to take. But you think I should smile more? Got it. I remember next time. Black Radical Queer is a main hustle media podcast hosted by Javi and Nicole and produced and edited by Charmaine Johnson. Music is by Young Carts. You can find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Black Rat Queer. That's B-L-K-R-A-D-Q-W-R. And you can also listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to stay connected to us in our discussion group. It's called the BRQ Discussion Group on Facebook, where we will continue the conversations that we start in the podcast. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.